welcome to Writer's Walk on CJSW, 90.9 FM in Calgary on Treaty 7 lands and Métis region of Alberta, sections 5 and 6. Today on the show is Stacey Easton with their memoir, Daddy Lessons, followed by Lori Hannell with her latest novel, Flicker. So let's get into it. Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for Writer's Walk on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. Today I'm speaking with Stacy Easton about their new uh, memoir, uh, Daddy Lessons. So welcome, Stacy. Hey, thank you. Thanks for talking to me. And so tell me about what got you interested in writing this uh, memoir. Um, A lot of things. I think... I um, have been working on the book for a while as a kind of reading journal and then talking to the people at Coach House, we're sort of wondering if it was more of a memoir. And then there was a court case that happened um, about one of the central figures in the book, um, an historical abuse case. And it kind of got sorted in some ways. And there was a lot I wanted to talk about or work through at the end of that court case. I had to go to court myself and get hire a media lawyer and find ways to get access. And you're not supposed to talk to the press or publish about the sort of thing legally in Canada uh, unless you get a a um, release, and so I figured. Between the, it was time to write it. If I had spent all of that time and money and effort to get this release and to read these court reports and go to go to the um, <laughs> go to court, although I didn't have much choice about going to court. Um, I figured, okay, it's time to actually put this 20 years worth of history on paper. And that's basically where it started. And so uh, what got you into the headspace and being able to write such uh, intimate details about yourself? I think it's, I've never been particularly good at boundaries. And I think it's not a headspace thing. I think... If you think of writing as, as, if you think of confessional writing, especially as just um, another kind of writing, right? So that was why it was easy for me to talk about the difficult work. Was the more that and more that I treated as simple, explicit writing, the easier and easier it was for me to to work the manuscript and to treat it less as confessional. Uh, uh, was so, uh, which, uh, so much time since the court case, uh, did you think there were still some things you could not write about in this um, memoir? No, I was, I was... I'm pretty good. I think everybody has a pseudonym, you know, that nobody... His real name is used, and people, I think it's been said that, you know, 
they, people didn't want to be written about. They were to have treated you better. And I think telling your story is important. So I, I didn't really have any problem or consideration um, with any of that. It, it is what it was. And I guess um, with now um, you starting to get the word out about the book, I guess, um, have you received any feedback with the short amount of time that has been available to the public? Yeah, I've gotten some good reviews. I think the people who, from the school, for example, who wanted to reach out have already reached out. And I think the reviews I've gotten have been mostly positive. Um, But I haven't had old friends or anything like that really um, reach out. And I guess uh, at this point in your life, I guess it's good... (coughs) It's good to reflect back, but uh, what are you looking forward uh, in the future about getting this book out in the public? Oh, um, I think one of the things I think Canadian literature especially is nervous about sexuality and pleasure and desire. And so I think that if it makes people more willing to talk explicitly about those factors in their lives or in their lives. That's really important. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to. That's what the impact I'm hoping the book will have. Okay. And I guess, um, um, I guess what is your sense of, masculinity at this point in your life and what does the future hold for you as someone still uh, part of society, I guess, yeah. Well, I'm a non-binary, right? So I I don't spend a lot of time thinking about masculinity. It's not been a concern of mine for a long time. Um. And I think um, I'm curious about those lives. So, like, I think there's a recalibration or reconsideration of the men in my life about how to construct meaning or consider meaning. But I think. The gender work that I'm doing right now is an explicit disavowal of masculinity, and so it's not it's not as interesting to me. And are there topics or ideas that you are interested in exploring as a non-binary person? Yeah, well, I think... My goal, I think there are people who say in terms of gender that we don't seek 
to dismantle or to work against gender. And I think and my goal is to do that dismantling. And I think part of this work for me is to recognize how difficult interactions with masculinity have been and to recognize pretty explicitly um, that that damage. And that's, I think, part of the longstanding um, work I've done. And I think it's part of the longstanding work of the book is, is to consider in a very explicit and material way the, the active damage of sort of patriarchal religious systems, patriarchal social systems, all of that. Um, um, I guess I've uh, spent some time in queer spaces at the university, but at the same time, uh, what do you think the having these conversations, having uh, explicit conversations about sexuality, uh, what what do you hope to bring to the public sphere in the sense of the um, in the yeah? yeah. Um, that's fun. I think aside from all of the social politics of it, um, it's a good time. And I think that fun for fun's sake is something that's unconsidered, like art for art's sake or pleasure for pleasure's sake. But I also think that at its best, Honest conversations about sexuality or desire um, can also be conversations about power or consent or knowing oneself. And I think we often sort of, I think, center conversations about sexuality, conversations about consent as conversations about sexuality. And I think instead, if we have conversations where the sexuality is an entrance into a larger conversation about consent, that may be helpful or useful. Okay. And I guess um, uh, we're about uh, uh, at the end of the interview. Uh, There's more to be said and to unpack uh, but uh, any uh, last words before we wrap up? Oh, I'm pretty good. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Stacey Eaton, for your time today. All right. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Jenny, and that was my interview with Stacey Easton about their memoir, Daddy Lessons. Next, I'll be telling you about the books that I've been reading lately. One is The Guinevere Deception by Kristen White. It is based on King Arthur legends, and from what I recall, 
of the legends that I read as a youngster, there is a fair bit that is drawn from the old tales, and there is a new twist and turn that the author gives to the story to make it uh, fun for young audiences. And so this is a book that follows uh, Guinevere as she leaves her small town, travels across a body of water to reach the king where she is uh, married and um, her objective to uh, the marriage is actually to protect the king. So I am at the 100 page mark and so far so good. It seems to be an authentic uh, tale and I do want to read the rest of the book. I have to return it to the book. I have to return it to the library soon. So hopefully I'll get to the end in fairly short order. Next, uh, another book that I've been reading lately is A Complicated Kindness by Miriam Taves. Uh, Miriam Taves is the Canadian author who is award-winning and the book follows a girl in her teens in the 1970s. It is rural Manitoba and she is part of a Mennonite community and it is about her uh, hearing about the tales around the big city and wanting to join in on the scene but she is still stuck in her hometown and trying to figure a way out of her, um, I guess, adolescent life. And so we'll see where the story goes. I am about uh, at the halfway point of the book. And so there's still more of it that I want to read. And so uh, we'll see how I find it uh, when I get to the end. So uh, another book that I've been reading is uh, N.W. by Zadie Smith. So over the course of the summer and into the new year, I've been reading the books that I have collected over the years by Zadie Smith. I read White Teeth in the Summer, and that book is about a patriarch uh, of a family who has uh, moved from Bangladesh to settle in the UK. Uh, he has a job at a restaurant and it is about his his life as a family man and what uh, it means to uh, uh, have a, uh, have an interior family uh, life um, that is valued outside of his um, official role in the public as this person who works at a restaurant. So yeah. And this, uh, the next book that I started reading by Zay Smith was Swing Time, and I read that uh, at the start of 2024. After that, um, it was only the last couple of weeks that I started reading N.W., and this is the more experimental, uh, more experimental uh, forms of writing that are interspersed within this uh, volume. And I am finding this to be a fairly interesting read. And soon it'll be time to read the new book, The Fraud. So the last couple times uh, she was in town, I missed the lectures that she was a uh, part of, but I am still intrigued enough to uh, continue on 
with the books she has uh, written over the years. So yeah. Next is my interview with Lori Hannell about her newest novel, Flicker. Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for Writers Walk on CJSW 9.9 FM in Calgary. Today, I'm speaking with Lori Hannell about her book, Flickr, which is out from University of Calgary Press. So welcome, Lori. Thanks so much. It's great to have a chance to chat on Writer's Block. So what inspired the book? Well, um, I drew inspiration from a number of different sources and experiences, but I think one of the main ones was um, when I was in university back in the late 80s, um, I worked in a thrift store. And uh, this kind of gave me the idea of thinking about objects that we interact with. Um, and, you know, my character Cass in Flickr works in a thrift store. Um, she comes across a device that enables her to travel back in time. And I kind of got that idea going even back then. And it's just been over um, a number of years. Um, I've read some different time travel novels. Um, I read some time travel when I was a teenager. Uh, for instance, um, Mark Twain's uh, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Um, I also read uh, The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. And finally, I read uh, Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. All of those things got me thinking about writing time travel. And then somewhat later, uh, in the uh, early 2000s, I read uh, The Time Traveler's Wife by Audrey Niffenegger, which is a great, uh, very modern, interesting kind of time travel novel. And that, that really got me interested in writing a time travel. So that's, you know, basically where it came from. And what is it about the time period that you were interested in exploring, the time of Thomas Edison? Right. So there's two time periods, of course, in the novel. There is the uh, the early 1900s, the era of Thomas Edison, and uh, there's the 1980s and forward, uh, which is Cass's period. So the 1900s to me were interesting because, in a way, I find that there are parallels between that time and our time. Uh, the The early 1900s was a time of um, a lot of technological advancement. So, uh, you know, this is a period where uh, we had uh, the beginnings of electric light, sound recording, motion pictures, broadcasting, not to mention all the advances in medicine and physics. And just as we have seen in recent years, um, scientific and technological advances encouraged almost a backlash of magical thinking and fascination with the occult. I mean, clearly we're finding that happening now, um, and I think it happened as well in 1900. So I explore that uh, quite a bit in the book, too. Your character goes through uh, a time uh, being a uh, 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 fortune teller's assistant. Yes, that's right. And so tell me about that part of the novel. Um, I feel like, um, she, you know, in the early part of the novel, um, she has psychic abilities that seem to have been faded for her. And uh, this involvement that she has with uh, the uh, the sideshow psychic is kind of a way where she is um, trying to... Uh, 
develop her agency, um, and and it works for her to a certain extent. Now, of course, she she has a complication with it, and that it turns out not to be the case. But um, you know that is one reason for that aspect of the plot. And you set much of the book in Calgary with uh, Calgary locations and themes. And so, what was it about the uh, Calgary in the 1980s that's so interesting? Well, I mean, I I lived in Calgary for the in the 1980s, so I guess that's probably you know the main reason. I also feel though that uh, you know Calgary in in many ways is kind of an untapped um, setting for novels. Um, you know, certainly there have been some set here, but I would like to see more. And I know we have a you know a large writing community here, so I think you know we should just go ahead and and write about Calgary if we want to. I thought about setting it elsewhere, but I don't know. Calgary's been my home for almost 50 years now, and it's just where I write from. Um, uh, are there any uh, persons in real life that uh, inspired characters in the book? Oh, I see. Yeah. Um to, you know, to a certain extent, most of the time my uh, my main characters have some aspect of myself in them. Um, I would say that Cass is not like a huge um, mirror of my own experience. But of course, you know, we have had the uh, the working in the thrift store part in common. And I don't know, um, other characters in my life. Oh, um, the manager in the in the thrift store is definitely modeled on someone I worked with. So, yeah, I mean that kind of thing does tend to leak into your work, but I try to keep it, you know, to a minimum. I mean, it's really about a story. It's not about an anecdote. Um, you know, about things that came out of your own life. You have to try and take those inspirations that you get from real life and transform them into story to make them interesting to readers. You've uh, um, published a few books that are in the short story category, and so uh, what's it been like to write for longer form writing? Um, I mean, they they are definitely two distinct forms, and I have at this point published three novels and two short story collections. Um, Short stories are something that I tend to work on in between phases of writing novels, um, when I very first started writing fiction, I began with a novel. And um, as I was writing it, I realized that in order to get this novel published, I would need to have some kind of a track record in publishing. So short stories, I thought, would be an easy way to do that. I mean, if there's anything in, in creative writing that's easy, right? So um I did that. I started sending out short stories. It wasn't quite as easy as I thought it might be. Um, And, you know, I found that it's great to have these two similar but not exactly the same forms to work in. Um, Because, you know, when you're writing a novel, inevitably you're going to run up against a wall of some kind. You are going to need to find many places where you need to stop. And, you know, if you can switch over to a short story or two for a while just to give your mind a break from the novel, it's beneficial in that uh, you are you are working on something completely different. So, uh, you know, there's I think there's pros and cons to writing both of them. They're both very different. But at the same time, the process is that you have a certain amount of time that you spend writing. 
right? Um, you're never going to sit down and write an entire novel at once. It comes in pieces over a period of years. And it's the same thing with a short story collection. You're, you're writing shorter pieces over a period of time that come together, you know, over a period of years. So there's similarities, dissimilarities, but I, I love writing them both. And I can't, I can never decide like which is my best, which is my favorite genre. So there you are. Sorry again. Uh, you're the the out love story that develops towards the end. Yeah. Uh, the love story that develops toward the end. Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the love story is present, you know, for much of the novel. Um, you know, it starts. I would say before the before the first half is over. Um, but, you know, a large part of that time, uh, the, the lovers, Cass and Eric, are apart. And so um, a lot of the time is spent in trying, Cass trying to uh, reunite them after she loses access to the device which allows her to time travel. So I guess towards the end, uh, they are reunited. But, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. So, <laughs> you. Um, it's been interesting seeing the two time periods, as you mentioned, the 80s and the 1900s. And so to compare the two uh, time periods and also uh, the different um, um, mindsets that are uh, present in the two uh, uh, time eras. Yeah. Right. Yes, there are different uh, there are different mindsets. Um, one of the things I wanted to do in um, having those two mindsets present was to kind of comment on, yes, things are very different now in terms of, uh, you know, particularly in terms of um, agency and uh, freedom for women. Uh, these, for instance, in terms of... Uh, our sexuality, um, you know, our our ability to vote and all of that kind of thing. And yet I also feel like, you know, we there is a lot of progress to be made on those fronts. And I feel like by contrasting those two eras, um, I am in my own way highlighting those, those issues. And I feel like um, often that's what a time travel novel is about. It's about... Uh, using the two eras to, uh, you know, make a point about something. Hear you. Uh, we're at the end of the interview. Any more to say before we wrap up? Um, I don't think so, but I'd like to thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to uh, the Writer's Block audience. Okay, uh, thank you very much. We've been talking to Lori Hanno about her book, Flickr, which is out uh, through... The University of Calgary Press. Thanks for your time. That's great. Thank you so much for calling. Okay. Hi, this is Jenny Kwong, and you've been listening to Writer's Block on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. If you'd like to listen to this podcast again, you can check the website at cjsw.com slash podcast and click Writer's Block. You can find this and many other podcasts from the past year or so on the website. You can also look at iTunes as well as Spotify. Check there for podcasts of this uh, episode there as well. And uh, thanks for listening to the show for so many years. Writer's Blog has been part of the station 
for over 10 years with various hosts over the years. And it's been wonderful to bring uh, interviews to you uh, month after month over the last uh, few years with the change of hosts uh, during the time of the pandemic. And now we're into a new um, transitional phase for the show. So hopefully you'll uh, hear back from me uh, fairly soon. Thanks again for listening to the show and many other shows from the past. And we'll see you at the various uh, literary events around town. Uh, and uh, hopefully catch up. Okay, that's it for me. This is Jenny Kwong. It's been a pleasure to be a host on this show. And we'll uh, talk to you soon. I've enjoyed uh, reading the books and getting to know what uh, some of the newer works are being written in uh, the Canadian literature and getting to be able to speak so to so many authors and uh, I guess see the tra- the trajectories of their careers over the uh, long time that I've been paying attention to uh, the literary scene in Calgary and uh, in Canada and um, uh, around the world. And so, yeah, thanks again for listening and stay tuned for the next show, uh, Poetry Joint. Okay, that's it for me and we'll see you soon.